Turn with me, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the first epistle of Paul to the Corinthians in chapter 10, reading from verse 23 through to the first verse of chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If some unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if anyone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it both for the sake of the man who told you and for conscience' sake. The other man's conscience, I mean, not yours. For why should my freedom be judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the Church of God, even as I try to please everybody in every way. For I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example, as I follow the example of Christ. Well, if we've been looking at the news These past few days, we would have seen the disruptions and uh, riots uh, in Istanbul, in Turkey, as there are groups who are seeking freedoms, they're claiming, and therefore they're setting themselves against the government. Of course, we've seen all the horrors of the fighting in Syria and the rebel groups seeking to overthrow the government, all in the name of freedom. And we find such things are common. We've seen them in Egypt. We've seen them in other parts of the world. Uh, And it's been rightly said that one man's freedom is another man's bondage. But the scriptures remind us that there is a Christian freedom that everyone in Christ really enjoys. And we need to understand this and what it means for us, particularly in the day and age in which we live. There is a saying that if it feels right for you, do it. That's the idea that men and women, they want to be free. They want equality. That's the so-called basis behind this change to the definition of marriage. Homosexual couples claiming they want equality. They don't want discrimination. They want the freedom to be able to do what they believe is right in their own sight They want the freedom to be able to express their love one for another. And our language often abounds with such sayings as freedoms, if it feels right, do it. There was a saying in Paul's day, which he refers to, in fact, several times in this epistle of 1 Corinthians, and it was this, it was often used by Christians of the day, everything is permissible for me. Back in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians and verse 12, we have that again. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. 
Sometimes the word permissible is translated lawful. Often with uh, statements such as this, of course, is not the saying itself, but it's the application. And this was the issue at Corinth. As I've said, we speak of much of freedoms and liberty uh, today. We see it as a basic human right for people to live in freedom. Uh, And as Christians, we believe in such things. We want the right for men and women to live free from oppression, free from uh, foreign domination. We want free trade. We want free speech. It's great that there were those who were able to uh, stand up in London last week and share the Christian gospel. And we defend the right for others to do it, whether it be Muslim, whether it be the BNP or whatever, providing they are not proclaiming hatred. We believe in freedom of religion. We believe in civil civil freedoms and such things are prized highly and we fight to defend them. And Christians, as we were reading in John's Gospel, are declared to be free in Christ. In chapter 8 and in verse 36, we read, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now there's an enormous gulf between the freedoms that the Christian enjoys and the freedom that the world wants to claim for itself. Paul uses one of the sayings of the day to emphasize the freedoms that Christians have to enjoy Christ. Uh, That verse I read a few moments ago in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, everything is permissible for me, uh, is put in the midst of uh, Paul's teaching on the need for sexual purity. Uh, He returns to that uh, in chapter 10 that we read a few moments ago when he's looking at uh, the whole issue of feasts and the Lord's Supper about the fact that so many things are open to Christians but we are to use uh, those things rightly. Paul not only reminds us of the freedom the Christian has but they're also uh, here Details of the boundaries concerning those freedoms. So then firstly, let's look at the matter of the freedom that the Christian has in the gospel. Jesus said the truth shall set you free. But what is that truth? That truth obviously is the truth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He was the one who came from God. He is the one who only can bring salvation to men and women. And it's the truth of who Jesus is and what we are that sets us free to be the true disciples of Christ. One of the problems, as we read in that scripture, is that if we are not a Christian, then we are a slave, as someone's put it, a slave to our own abilities. Paul was like that before he was converted, when he still had the name Saul, He was a strict Pharisee. He based his hope of salvation solely on his ability to keep the law of Moses. He says elsewhere, doesn't it? Uh, As far as legalistic righteousness, no one could touch him. He knew all the laws of the church, all the Jewish laws. Um, There were 614 laws in the Old Testament, but the Pharisees added many more, and, and he knew them all. He knew every little nuance of the law. Never once 
was he going to break that law. He was absolutely scrupulous about the way he kept the most minute detail of his life. But yet, as we read elsewhere in the New Testament, the harder he tried, the harder he tried to keep all those laws, the more miserable he became. Rather than bringing him freedom, they brought him restriction. The Jews of the time boasted of their political freedom, despite being under the domination of the Roman Empire. They said, we can't be slaves because we are descendants of Abraham. But Jesus was reminding them that there was another bondage that they were ignoring. So we read in chapter uh, 8 and in verses uh, 34, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. Paul, before his conversion, had been a slave to sin. In other words, he was trusting in his own abilities. It was his sin that captivated him. And that's true of everyone who has been converted. Prior to their conversion, we are a slave to our own abilities. It is the world in which we live today that men and women are slaves to their own abilities. What do I mean by that? Well, it means being caught up in all the affairs of the world with all their ideas of ambitions, the love of money, possessions, their cravings for pleasure, excitement, which can often go to drink and drugs. I mean, we don't need to spend time this evening. We know just the difficulties and problems particularly amongst many uh, uh, in our high streets at uh, weekends. So much alcohol is uh, imbibed and all the troubles that that brings. But it doesn't stop there. It's the pursuit of illicit relationships and fantasies. Uh, running after someone called the, the elusive dream to find happiness. And therefore... We want to do with, away with any restriction that might stop that happiness as far as we are concerned. So therefore, if it's a man and a man or a woman and a woman, that's fine. We put a few little boundaries in there. Children are still protected. But it won't be long before these things move on to other areas. As the Coalition for Marriage have been reminding us uh, that the idea of homosexual marriage, it won't be very long before we then go on to justifying polygamy. Because on the basis that if uh, the, the, the relationship in a unit is based on love, and that alone, then why not? Why can't there be several men, several women, uniting together, all under this heading of love? And we end up as becoming slaves to these ideas. And this elusive dream for happiness is always out, just outside the reach of men and women. And weren't we like that before we were converted? We think of such things as freedom, but they are instead a slavery to our own desires. The Jews themselves were enslaved to their religious systems, and it brought them no nearer true freedom than those who were enslaved to the world. And we find, don't we, sadly, in ch churches today, there are those who are more concerned about attending the uh, rituals of the church as the basis for their rightness with God 
and they miss the whole truth of what it is to be free in Christ through trusting in him. And Paul was only too well aware of these things. That was, of course, until he went down the Damascus Road. And that road for Paul was a road to true freedom. By the grace of God, Paul came to see that he could never produce enough righteousness on his own to qualify for heaven. No matter how well he kept all the laws, how well he achieved uh, the, the level of rightness in uh, following the laws of the Jews and these man-made laws, it would never achieve the righteousness he needed to qualify him for heaven. Yet at the same time, he came to realize something quite glorious. And it was he came to understand that Jesus Christ is the only one who had the kind of righteousness that is pleasing to God. That Jesus Christ is the only one who truly kept the law of God. That Jesus Christ was the only one who was completely without sin. And that his righteousness counts for those who denounce their own righteousness and trust God. After the service this morning, two or three of us were talking, and one of the questions that came up was, uh, if there are false teachers in the world, where, where, where does that false teaching, uh, what point does it mean that what they're teaching uh, brings them uh, totally against Scripture? Uh, and totally wicked in what they're saying. And we likened it down to this very point. Whenever we seek to add anything to the salvation that's to be found in Jesus Christ, then, as Paul says to the Galatians, let them be an anathema. Paul realised that his own ability to achieve rightness with God and salvation was flawed and would never achieve anything. And he realised that through the grace of God and the righteousness of Christ, he no longer had to monitor every minute detail of his life to see if he was meticulously keeping the law. And now many of the things that he worried about and he tried to avoid and he was concerned about, now he saw them as completely harmless. And so Paul rejoiced in his new found freedom. He saw that he was free in Christ. And being free in Christ, he could live a life pleasing to God because of what Christ had done. He was free in Christ and therefore he was free to worship God. He was free to fellowship with God's people. He was free from all the concerns and the grip that sin had had upon him. So Paul rejoiced in his newfound freedom. And he says, now all things are permissible for me. It summed up his experience. Christ had bought him freedom with the Calvary sacrifice. But as we've come to see, uh, when you look at the church in Corinth, they had taken what Paul had said and had taken it to an extreme. The way the Corinthians were using their freedom in Christ appalled Paul. They seem to apply that when Paul said everything is permissible for the Christian, it included the freedom to sin. Their behaviour exceeded the limits of true Christian behaviour. Instead of living as a forgiven, holy, righteous people, 
Uh, They were indulging in the sexual and social sins prevalent in the society of their day. Instead of submitting willingly to the rule of the Lord Jesus Christ, they condoned sin in the name of freedom. You see, the freedom that we have in Christ is that the hold that sin has on us has gone and we are free to live holy lives and lives which are not only pleasing to God, lives that bring happiness to ourselves. So instead of submitting, they were now seeking to condone sin in the name of freedom. They were equating Christian liberty with carnal license. And you know, in a way, we need to be careful that we can all be guilty here. When there's something we really want to do, it's not hard sometimes to find a way to justify it. Let me take this a bit further. For our second point this morning, uh, this evening, is misusing our freedom. Misusing our freedom. The Corinthians, it seems, had added a further saying to what Paul had said. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 13, we find this phrase, food for the stomach and the stomach for food. But God will destroy them both. Now, what were they saying there? It was apparently one of the sayings of the day. Uh, Putting it into the context uh, of the chapter in which Paul is writing, uh, it was that any sexual relationship was no more right or wrong than the act of eating. That's what they were saying. It was merely gratifying a bodily appetite. I'm sorry to deal with a subject like this this evening, but we, we need to think about it because it's very relevant in the day in which we live. It was the idea of merely gratifying a bodily appetite, nothing more. Roger Ellsworth in his commentary says, just as the stomach was made for food, and food was made for the stomach, so sex was made for the body, and the body for sex. And that was as far as they took it. And it's not difficult to link this thinking with our own day. So therefore, any relationships, any way in which men and men and men and women and all the rest behave together is entirely up to you. It's merely a gratifying of a bodily appetite. Sexual immorality is as common and culturally acceptable today as it was in the time of Paul. And in our society, the pressure to conform to what everyone else is doing is immense. One of the reports I was reading uh, concerning uh, this uh, debate in the House of Lords uh, this coming week was some of the Lords might vote in favour of this redefining of marriage because they see it as being the mood of the day. Didn't matter whether it was right or wrong, didn't matter what it would achieve, but this is, you know, this is the way to popularity. Haven't we seen our senior politicians time and time again over this whole issue relating those who oppose the idea of redefining marriage uh, as those who are bigots, those who have no idea how people think today. Well, I think they're out of keeping with how people think. But what is obviously true is that they are a million miles away from what the scriptures are saying. 
And we are finding that Christians find it so difficult to remain sexually pure that often they grab at any excuse of the latest thinking to allow them to indulge in immorality. Some uh, few years ago, a well-known evangelical gospel preacher declared that he was leaving his wife and family and was setting up in a homosexual relationship. And he argued that the scriptures allowed him to do so. Um, I can't remember all his arguments, uh, thankfully. Uh, I could never see how he could come to such a thinking. But it is. There are many today who call themselves Christians. There are bishops, there are vicars, uh, there are ministers in such relationships. And yet they call themselves Christians. So Scripture is distorted and perverted to try and make something that allows us to indulge in what we actually want out of our own hearts. So we find that there are those who are saying that homosexuality per se is not wrong, it's not forbidden, it's only promiscuous, promiscuous homosexuality. So in other words, as long as we have a, 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 a strong relationship, it doesn't matter whether that's same-sex or men and women. Such things are biblically okay. And Paul says this is an utter misuse of the freedom and liberties that are given to believers. Perhaps we can sum it up like this. That the Christian has freedom to do everything except break the moral law of God. God calls us to use our freedom to live holy and righteous lives. Maybe some of the things I'm saying here this evening, you're thinking, well, that's all a bit extreme. It's way beyond my experience or what I would even be thinking about. And I'm sure that's true. But we need to make sure there are not other areas where we misuse the freedoms that God gives us. It is that we seek to live a holy and righteous life that is no longer a slave to some addiction, whether it be sex or whether it be any other uh, thing that captivates our minds and our abilities. So thirdly, the boundaries to freedom, the boundaries to the Christian's freedom. Paul is not distracting from the glorious truth of Christian liberty. But he does make it clear that what he was saying when he says everything is permissible, uh, permissible does not include permission to sin, let alone sexual immorality. In other words, uh, the phrase everything was not to be taken literally to mean everything without exception. That doesn't stack up when we compare it with the other commands of scriptures. There were boundaries, and those boundaries were naturally implied in the very definition of what it is of being a Christian. If we're in Christ this evening, we're called to worship our God, to live a life that's pleasing to him. And if we so do so, we know the hand of God will be upon us. It's clear when we look at scripture, there are many issues in scripture that are not clearly defined, they're often called the grey areas of scripture. 
And sometimes some Christian thinks uh, such an issue is wrong. Others are quite at ease with it. Uh, this was one of the issues uh, that happened uh, at the day when we read that passage uh, from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10. It was an issue over meat. Meat would be bought from the market and uh, the best meat uh, would be bought and often that meat had originally been offered to idols and had then, uh, once the, the animal had been slaughtered, uh, as an idol worship, then the meat would be sold on the market. And often they were some of the best cuts of meat. And Paul was saying, don't ask where it came from. If it's the meat's fine, that's good. You buy it, you eat it, you have no conscience over it. Others might find that difficult. And therefore, Paul says, we're to respect those consciences. But we're not to allow my freedoms that I have in the gospel, to affect your freedoms. So we have to respect one another. We might consider some of these things perhaps morally neutral. There's nothing inherently wrong with them, but Paul puts up these boundaries to this freedom. We might find a contradiction to say freedom has boundaries, but when we reflect, there's no such thing, of course, as absolute freedom in a fallen world. Um, some while ago I was reading the story of a, of a woman who thought it was funny uh, to pretend to have a bomb in her luggage until she got to the uh, checkout or wherever it was and um, uh, she was asked what she got in a bag and she said, very tongue-in-cheek, oh, I've got a bomb in there. And she was quickly whipped off by the authorities and all the rest. Uh, she was using her freedom to be humorous uh, but it caused a lot of problems well, for her and for all the authorities. Her freedom to pretend caused a lot of problems. We have freedom to speak, but we do not have the freedom to malign another person's character. We have no freedom to stand up and uh, to um, uh, expound hate on other people. You had a an email some little while ago of a Christian who was rejoicing in the death of Margaret Thatcher. And they were saying, well, it's so good to know that she's now dead. And they finished off with a most horrific phrase, which I won't even repeat. But hold on a moment. That person was made in the image of God. We've no right to rejoice that she might now be in hell. We've got no right to rejoice uh, that she's got her just deserts. We're not to bring out that sort of hatred against others, even in our minds. We have to realise uh, that we have to have the right respect and regard for all people. We may not agree with them. We have a fundamental right to say we don't agree with them. You can stand on the street and say, uh, that this is the truth. But we don't have a right, do we, to uh, call uh, a person because they don't believe as we do uh, to raise hatred towards them. But there's something else that Paul reminds us of here, uh, that not everything that we do or can do is beneficial or helpful. 
Um, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. A particular act may not be inherently wrong for me, but that doesn't mean a Christian should necessarily engage in it. It may not be profitable to me. I'm free to watch TV. I'm free to go to the theatre or the cinema. But not everything on TV, not everything in the theatre is helpful. We have to make a judgment. Will what I want to do, will what I want to watch build me up in my faith or will it bring me down? There are things that are just not worth doing. Some things can take up so much of our time and energy. It's good to indulge, so I'm told, in sport and keeping fit and all the rest. And I've often quite liked the idea of uh, playing golf. Um, But if I'm honest, I think it would be something which would take up so much of my time that I wouldn't be able to do the things, other things that I would want to do. So from that perspective, maybe fine for you, but for me, it could be harmful. I had a friend once who refused promotion at work because he saw that the new job, whilst it would give him a greater income, would take so much of his time that he wouldn't have much time for the work in the church. And sometimes there are difficult decisions that we have to make. It's not necessarily the same for all of us. Something innocent may be harmful to one person, but not for another. It's all within our Christian liberty and we're to think it through for some things are not beneficial to the Christian. Paul talks here, doesn't he, about not being mastered, things that are enslaved. Are you enslaved by anything? I'm amazed at how much time some people spend on their computers, surfing the web. And that goes on for hours and hours. Not what they're watching is wrong. I'm not saying that. Um, I, I know of people who spend hours and hours each day listening to sermons, reading sermons online and all the rest. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But are we spending so much time in front of a screen that we're not using the gifts and the freedoms we have in the sharing of the gospel with others? It is that so easy to become addicted. Computer games are the prime target there, aren't they? Uh, Folks get caught up with them. How many Christians find themselves spending long hours surfing the web that it's become an addiction? We think of many other legitimate matters that we can get hooked on. The scripture, for example, doesn't condemn ever the drinking of alcohol although drunkenness, of course, is sinful. But some believers think it is best to abstain altogether, others to imbibe occasionally. That is the individual conscience. Our indulgence in food or alcohol and so on, everything is permissible. But I will not be mastered by anything. Sometimes we need to ask ourselves, don't we? Is there anything we're doing, no matter how legitimate that you couldn't bear the thought of giving up. People get hooked on cigarettes, don't they? I take my life in my hands. There are those that get hooked on chocolate. 
Isn't it true? Things master us. And if you're mastered by something, then we should be giving it up. Because although it's permissible, it is not necessarily beneficial for us. Freedoms are only true freedoms as long as we are free to say no to them. Well, we could go on a lot this evening with lots of different examples. We may not use the scriptures to try and distort and to allow for sin to become legitimate. Sin is sin and it is to be shunned at every point. Sometimes those caught up in sexual temptations are taken almost to a breaking point. So how are we to respond? Are we to try and find some theological excuse for our indulging? Are we to pretend that we have freedom to do those things which are sinful? Rather, of course, we should realise that the freedoms that have come through a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ is a freedom to be holy, is a freedom to live a life which is pleasing to God. Rather than giving license to sin, the call to holiness means we do not engage in the innocent things that do not edify or could enslave us. Christianity is so far-reaching, it affects every aspect of our lives. Its implications touches every aspect. But we have great hope. We take hope in the truth that Jesus Christ has set sinners free. By his grace, we could never have become a Christian on our own because we were so enslaved to our own sin. But by the grace of God, who broke into our hearts and lives, By his spirit, he brought us to see our need for repentance. He brought us to trust in the work that Christ did on the cross. And when we see what Christ has achieved for us, he's broken that hung, that control that sin had. And now we are free to worship. That's true freedom, true liberty. There can be no greater freedom than to know Jesus Christ and his salvation. Do you know Christ? Do you know the freedom of being a true child of God and all that that means? Or are you still caught up in all the enslavement to the things of your earlier life? Well, may the Lord help us and encourage us that we might live those lives which show the freedoms that we enjoy because we are a child of God through Jesus Christ. Amen.